0: Hi, guys, welcome to the podcast. Before we start, we just want to introduce you to our sponsor. Our sponsor is the Twitter handle, at MugsNFL. They're a company that offer a range of custom items such as mugs, t shirts, crew jumpers, and hoodies, all customized with your favorite sports player or your sports team. That can be any sport, ranging from the NFL through to the NBA to UK sports. All you have to do for an extra 10% off your order is drop them a message on Twitter quoting our podcast that is hardwood hoops podcast and now get 10% off your next order cheers and enjoy the show welcome back to the harvard hoops podcast we're here for episode 37 and we're joined by a, a guest you've heard before mr james plowright who is a draft betting expert we found out and a charlotte hornet super fan how you doing mate that's good let's see how long i can hold on to
1: that title for oh, at least i've got it for the next year for sure anyway
0: <laughs> yeah you have you need to put that in your twitter bio you've got 12 months but well, maybe about nine months to uh yeah. to keep that in there for how you doing you're right
1: yeah, I'm really good, really good. Look, and it's been a whirlwind, hasn't it? Like, you know, for I mean, especially for me as a as a Hornets fan, we, you know, we had nothing in the bubble, so the last week has been a a whirlwind. My girlfriend's getting annoyed at me for being on the phone all the time. That was always going to happen. <laughs>
0: but,
1: uh, yeah, it's been it's been fun.
0: Yeah, it's been some very late nights, isn't it, for any UK NBA fans? The amount of news we've had. If you're trying to stay up for live news, you're talking like. I think some of the signings that I saw you tweeting about when I was still up was like two AM, and we're getting the latest signings for. And I'm thinking, yeah. oh no, this is a long week.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, it's been the Red Bulls have been going strong in my house.
0: <laughs> good man, good man. So, plan today, we're going to do a bit of a draft recap, and then at the end, I'm going to ask you a little bit about free agency, about the Gordon Hayward signing. Um, stuff like that but we'll start off with a bit of draft talk um, so I alluded to it earlier with the with the betting, draft night bets you went 8 for 8 on your bets uh, I was very impressed, I went 5 for 7 but 3 of those I stole from your from our podcast with you that you recommended so shout out to you for that, what were your thoughts when you saw all those winners coming in on draft night
1: I mean I was pretty thrilled <laughs> I'm not going to lie um, I, it's one of those, this draft cycle went on for so long I just didn't know if we'd got to the point where we had like too much time to analyze everything and too much information that it was all just going to go like completely bizarre, or are we going to be able to zero zero one and exactly kind of what to expect? And it kind of like, like nothing really much happened in the first 15 picks it All kind of just went to plan, which never happens in draft night. You know, people calling it a boring draft. Uh, but from a betting point of view, boring is profitable. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty thrilled with, with how it all broke down. I was on zoom in some, some friends in the States, Um, during the draft and I mean after the Hornets picked at three I was basically just watching the rest of the draft for for my bets and uh, (laughs) like it was just one thing after another coming in it was brilliant
0: yeah the Poku one was a highlight of mine because I copied you on that one late and uh, I think he went what two or three picks before the bet wasn't it under 20 was that right
1: I think he was I think he was 18 and 18.5 was the over under Uh,
0: and he went 17 um,
1: yeah I knew Dallas had been linked with him at 18 so I was already thinking well there's some value there, but that's a very close call. And then OKC traded up to 17. And OKC, with a team linked to Poku all through the draft process, anyone you spoke to. Um, and I thought, well, I know why they've drafted up; to, they've moved up to 17 in the draft for Poku. So, and then I was like, well, even if they didn't take him, you've got Dallas right behind. So you've got two teams. The two teams are probably tied to him closely, picking 17 and 18. And I think that kind of got confirmed the day of the draft, I think it was. And at that point, I just thought, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down some on that, uh, just kind of late, really. Um, you know, so just that's why you've got to really stay on top of the news during the day, because if that OKC trade, if I'd seen that two three hours later, like, I don't even know if the 18.5 over under was still there a few hours later. So kind of got to stay on Twitter on, on draft date if you want to kind of get make take
0: advantage of the odds. Yeah, they probably would have either taken them off or uh, changed that over under, because I know Skybet pulled all the draft odds about an hour and a half before the draft and the rumours started kind of ramping it up a bit that the top three was going to be the top three. They basically just stripped every single odds, apart from uh, you could bet who went first overall, which the odds are just rubbish at that point. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, my two losers that I wanted to mention. So I did a top four bet. I got the top four right, but I did another one where I put Denny at four. That was a bit of a cover bet in case William didn't quite get there. So that one didn't bother me too much. But the worst one was I had three players to go in the top 10. Halliburton was my lock for the bet. Uh, This is my actual second largest bet in terms of value. All the other two came in that were a bit more outsiders. uh, And then Halliburton went all the way to 12. So for me, that was definitely the stinker of the draft. I did not expect him to fall out of the 10.
1: And you know what? We'll we'll touch on it later, but I do not know why the Suns passed on Halliburton at 10. I mean, you should have won that bet. I I don't know what they were doing. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I feel feel bad. Who were your two others in that bet?
0: Uh, So I had Killian Hayes. Yeah. Uh, and then I had uh, Isaac Okura. Yeah,
1: you see, that's that's not a bad bet. Like, you were, you got unlucky there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no Killian one.
0: Hayes, Killing Hayes on the odds was the one who was like, he was yeah. under 12 and a half at that time. So he was the one that a lot of people thought might go 10, 11, 12. He might just slightly fall out. I thought so. Uh, I didn't so. think Gibby Halliburton at all. I thought he'd go four, five, six, seven.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think you and everyone else would have, you'd, you'd flip those two in a heartbeat. So, you're yeah. you're pretty lucky there. A little bit unlucky, definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then the worst one was before our podcast. The odds for the top four to be as it was were twelve to one, and that was a bet that I requested. I didn't put it on because uh, I thought Williams might go five six. I waited till the day before the draft. The odds had dropped to four to one. So even though I won the bet, I lost out on six six to one odds technically between the two bets. So that's just one where you should follow your your gut, kind of, and do it early. Because the later you do it, I think the more money goes on, the more they reduce the odds.
1: Yeah, always, always. But it's always hard, though, because you want to wait. You want to wait to hear the medicals in case people slide. Because of medicals, you want to wait because there might be some trades and the Bulls are being active in trade talks. And if the Bulls are traded up with the Warriors for two, which is rumoured, then you know Williams wasn't getting picked in the top four uh, Mm -hmm. by Golden State at four. So it's, it's just so hard trying to toe that line between... I want to get the best odds, but I want the information. And I, I'm very much a cautious better when it comes to this kind of thing. Like I I will always, I, I'm not so worried about like, oh, are those good odds or not? I'm more like, well, I feel I've got better odds of actually winning the bet than I'm being given by the bookies. And I'll take that, even if it's not for that great of value. Um, and that's probably, you know, that's probably why I went eight for eight on my bets because, you know, none of my bets, were, I think, were over like two for one uh, or mm-hmm. evens. Like they were, they were all kind of, smaller bets where i'm not winning big but i knew i had to win like six seven out eight about eight to make kind of a little bit of money
0: yeah the killer was when i saw someone from america on DraftKings who did one to ten in the correct order for ten dollars and it was something like sixteen thousand dollar return. turn wow. uh, that was, yeah that was just annoying Jaylen, was just, who yeah, picks
1: Jalen smith at 10 and a,
0: oh my yeah, god you just wonder yeah. how
1: these things happen don't you
0: well i think that person's probably got about a 100 different bets and this is the one yeah. time that they paid off but
1: absolutely um
0: you mentioned it there then with the Chicago Bulls-Warriors talk. Let's go on to talk about kind of the lack of trades really in the top 15. So I spoke to um, CJ, who was on the last podcast, and we both thought there'd be three or four trades. That was our prediction in the lottery. Uh leaning towards four, to be honest. We ended up having none technically in the first 14 picks. Uh, the Warriors-Bulls came close from everything you read, but the Warriors wanted a little bit more, which is, I find... Amazing if that was a true story. But what were your thoughts after we got to pick 15-16 then you realised there'd been no trades and all that kind of up and down stuff never really happened?
1: I feel like we have this conversation every year after the draft where we're like, oh my God, there's so many rumours before the draft and then it didn't happen and we kind of forget about them. So I I do think there's a little bit of like, we just need to remember there's always loads of rumours around the draft and they're not all going to happen. Like most of the time when these rumours come out, it's because those talks didn't lead anywhere. And that's when people feel comfortable leaking kind of what things were discussed, giving press little tidbits to get info in on other people. Um, I mean, everyone's been saying all oh, year, this is not the draft to trade up in. Okay. It's a weak draft at the top. So I actually think, you know, franchises were being smart, not throwing future first and young players to move up one or two picks. Like, you saw some of the the rumoured deals, like the Hornets giving up a first and Miles Bridges to move up to one. The Bulls giving up Wendell Carter to move up to two. Like, these are deals that all the fans of these teams are being like, no, please don't do that. That You know, the Knicks didn't want to give up um, um, Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson, Robinson to yeah. move up to, like, three or four. None of the Knicks fans wanted to do that. So, I, I think you always expect there's going to be some moves in the top 15 and draft night. But I think we we just know the draft wasn't of that quality, and we no one heard many rumors, which is like yeah, that makes complete sense of both teams, especially with like with the Timberwolves, their asking price was apparently quite high, considering that that number one pick kind of wasn't that coveted this year. Um, and yeah, I think they probably could have got Anthony Edwards at three. I think the Hornets might have taken Wiseman a ball at two, and I don't think the Warriors would have taken Edwards. So I think you know, but they must have been just a little bit scared. Um, that Edwards wouldn't have been there. But they would have got him on a much cheaper contract, picking third overall. Um, and they probably would have been able to pick up a, a future protective first or a Miles Bridges as well. So I'm, I'm surprised that Tim Wills didn't pull the trigger on that. Uh, but I think they liked Edwards maybe more than people realized before the draft. I've seen some stuff from Rosas, the GM there. And, uh, you know, they, they felt he was head and shoulders the best player in the draft. That was his quote. So um, I understand if they feel that way, you, you don't want to take that risk.
0: Yeah, it came out afterwards as well that his measurables had gone up and uh, no one had mentioned this at all before and then as soon as they picked him the Tim said that he'd grown an inch and a half and he'd put on, I think it was £10. So he's almost the perfect size now for a, for a wing. He's that perfect size. So I wonder if that they've been higher on him all along and they were kind of just using smokescreens to see what offers they could get. But like you said, nobody wanted to risk that pick for next year where, where we probably got the best draft in maybe 10, 10 plus years, I'd say. Uh,
1: absolutely. And... Um... You know, And you've also got, in the coming years, it was supposed to be 2022, but now there's some skepticism around that, Uh yeah. the double draft, where you're going to have people potentially going straight from high school to the NBA. So you're going to get two cohorts of players, both your, your college freshmen and then the high school graduates from that year. Now, I, you've actually started to see some teams trade the 2022 picks, because I think there's a little bit of grown pessimism that that's actually going to be the year it's going to happen. But I think that's another thing that teams are just keeping in mind is you don't want to dra- trade away a pick for one of the weakest drafts since like 13, which could end up being a pick in the double draft where, you know, picking 10 is as good as picking five. Uh, so I, I think there's a, a little bit of kind of concern there. I, I also just think there's a little bit uncertainty financially. I mean, you can't really tell from free agency, but there's a, a lot of teams here losing money, uh un- uncertain owners who've lost money and these rookies are on really cheap contracts you know they're cost controlled for at least 4 years uh normally your first round picks so i think there is an element of uh let's just you know keep these cheap guys on the roster we can build around them we don't want to be trading for expensive veterans giving up picks for that and we've had 9 months you know of this draft cycle even longer I think there's also some teams who probably did fall in love with guys and make promises to guys. I think you talked about it earlier, but like Tyrese Halliburton dropping, there's rumours that both the Suns at 10 and the Spurs at 11 had already made promises to Smith and Vassal. So even though like they might have liked Halliburton, they kind of didn't feel they're in a position to go back. And I think that could have been the case in a few in a few different teams. And that's also why trades maybe didn't happen as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that we've seen... We'll go on to talk about it in a minute, but some bad picks of players. But we saw less moves, maybe in terms of trading, in terms of getting veterans, uh, risking picks for the future. We saw less of that, and I think that's because a the strength of this draft and b the type of off season this is, with the basically a three week off season before the mini camp start. Um, so yeah, I think team just made the right decision. And we saw less stupid moves. We saw still saw some stupid moves, but maybe we saw less. Um, let's go on to talk about those top three then in order. So the draft went as expected. Uh, it was kind of the order that our mock draft went on on this podcast. It was the same same three players really that me and you spoke about on Twitter that we thought would go where they did. Uh, do you like the fits for all three players? We spoke about Edwards a little bit, but uh, what are your thoughts on all three players um, and their fit with the teams that drafted them?
1: I, I really do like the fit for all those teams, to be honest. Um, I, I don't think Edwards is perfect to Minnesota, but I think he was probably better than both Wiseman and Ball, if you're talking about fits. Um, you know. So, But I, I do think, that you know, they, they need a two to play next to Russell. They just signed, re signed uh, Beasley for as like another four year deal, the restricted free agent they had, and he, he averaged 20 points a game last year. So, you know, it could be Edwards might be looking at trying to play the three potentially. They could be looking to have Beasley as a sick man, Edwards is a sick man. We'll have to see how it goes, but I, I like the picks. I think Wiseman Warriors is the perfect place for him. Great environment, great coach, great vets will be able to focus on the things he does well for now while also uh, adding kind of different uh, Swiss Army nice moves to his game over the next next few years. I, I really like that. He's going to have good spacing and gravity around him with the likes of Steph. Um, you know, Clay. if he not got injured, which is just such a shame. I mean, yeah. such a shame. But I, I think they've pivoted well. Like Wiggins, uh, Ubre. I, I think, you know, those are really big, long guys um so i think i think that works well and then Lamelo and charlotte he's not just the only ball handler it's not just going to be give him the ball and let him do everything you've got graham you've now got gordon hayward you've got terry Rozier. you've got these other guys who can handle the ball there um so it's not just going to be all beyond this rookie who's played what nine games in in 18 months um after being injured in, in australia so um the fix for those three. Um, I think those teams all got it right. I, th- I think they did the right thing.
0: Yeah, and we'll just touch a little bit more on the Charlotte thing, obviously, because you are a Hornets fan. Uh, do you think Lamelo goes straight into that starting five, or, or what we spoke about before on our last podcast? You, you kind of saw him more maybe coming off the bench with with the two guards you've already got. Do you still think that's the case after hearing the the post draft interviews by the team, or have you changed your mind and think maybe they're just going to throw him in that starting lineup?
1: But I'm probably more conservative on this. Every year, I always think, well, you always hear the coach being like, the guy's going to have to earn the spot. And I'm always like, well, if the guy in his spot did well last year, you have to think it's his to lose, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Now, I was really of this opinion going into this season, and P.J. Washington showed both in Summer League and then in NBA preseason, he was ready, and they benched Marvin Williams and played P.J. from Game 1. Um, which he set a record for, by the way, for rookies, for threes made in the first game as a rookie. I think he made six, which is a very fun game, that Chicago game, first game of the year. But um, I think with LaMelo, I'd probably revert to being conservative again. The question is, is whether we keep Toe Rozier. There's still some talk at the moment, you know, there's, there's, there's obviously the option out there to stretch Nick Latoum. And I don't want to dive into this too much because I know we were later, but... There's also some rumblings going around that Terry Rozier could be getting traded. He posted a very crypt, cryptic Instagram story. I love breaking down cryptic Instagram stories um, on social media. You know, he could potentially be going on a sign and trade. So if Terry Rozier leaves, then I do see LaMelo coming in and maybe starting at that two position next to Devontae and Gordon Haywood. But if we come back with with the same two guards we had last year in Haywood, I probably do think LaMelo coming off the bench, especially, like we say, no Summer League, Shortened preseason, limited playing time in the last few months. Uh, but look, if he goes into camp and if he's starting game one, then you know that LaMelo has impressed the hell out of the team and the coaches because they won't start him in game one unless they feel really confident he is the best thing for the team.
0: Yeah, and I think there's going to be two or three preseason games. That's it. So if we see him starting, come game one, whichever night that that is in the first week, I think you know that Lamelo Ball, I think he's the, the real deal straight away for this year, uh, which would be exciting for Hornets fans. Um, my other question was, have you bought a Lamello Ball jersey yet? Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I nice. have. A um, teal one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I bought a teal pinstripe one straight away from Hornets.com. I didn't even check. I've paid like the tax because i'm buying it from the states from like the hornet store i'm sure i could have got it for cheaper if i've gone just like uk fanatics or nba eu store but um i got really excited over excited in draft <laughs> night i'd won all this money from the bets and i was just like well i'm there's no excuse now i just want to go straight for the real thing um so yeah i uh, I, I bought the Melo ball jersey it's on pre-order apparently i won't get it till march which kind of sucks
0: but yeah, I guess that, that must... happened to me as well, my NFL one. Was, I ordered it on draft night and it said, oh, this order will come by 1st of November. And the NFL yeah. draft's in April. So I was like, yeah. oh, cheers.
1: <laughs> I was, yeah, so that was a bit disappointing. Um, but it, it was interesting because they announced him with, with number two. Because um, Lamele Ball wears number one. The Two of the rookies we drafted also wore number one in college. But Malik Monk already has number one. But then... Um, with the suggestion that I think Nick Batum, oh, I'm trying to think now, whoever Malik Monk, what his number he preferred is now changed. I think it might be Batum. Batum's going, so Monk can go to five, and now one's back on the table. So there's he, all the photos of the Mellor ball holding the number two jersey, but he could be swept sort back to number one literally a day <laughs> after being given number two. So yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting day for numbers at the Hornets.
0: Well, that probably help the fact that yours doesn't come to a march saying, because if they'd have shipped it out with a two and then he wears one... I would have been, been a... furious. <laughs> yeah, that could have been a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. Um, cool, let's go and talk about five best picks and five worst picks. Let's start on a positive note. Um, so do you want to run through who you thought were your five best picks of the draft in whatever order you want, or if you've got an actual best to worst, maybe? Uh, yeah, the...
1: I've not so much ranked them in a best to worst, but what I've tried to do is like pick people from different areas of the draft so it's not just like the top 10 guys and it's not just the same names that you're probably hearing if you've listened to other draft podcasts so i've tried to go a little bit rogue um so so i mean the, the my, my five guys are precious achua uh, to the miami heat uh which was i believe i think it was pick number 20 uh, one pick later tyrese maxi to the 76ers at 21 then i had tyrese halliburton um, to the Kings at 12, but also actually just the Kings draft in general with Woodard and Ramsey in the second round I liked. And then I've gone uh, RJ Hampton at 24 to the Nuggets. Um, and then my last one is a kind of a, a second round deep sleeper edition of the 56th and 58th pick. Grant Riller to the Charlotte Hornets at 56 and Paul Reed at 58 if you want to get really deep. So those are kind of my my five kind of best kind of put a few together there just because I won't need to go into as much detail about them but those are my my five. Do I overlap with any of yours?
0: Um, Yeah well definitely the the one that stands out is someone we've talked about already is Halliburton. Um, I put a chewer down as well in my five. Uh, I didn't go quite as deep as you so let's start with the Hornets ones in the second round then. Uh, I know a lot of people, including my friend CJ, that are very, very high on Grant Riller. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you see him being a, a key member of the, the team and kind of developing for the next couple of years or you think it's more of a G League stash? I
1: think I think he'll definitely get an opportunity. Uh, the Hornets have probably been one of the best teams at making use of the G League in the last two seasons. So Devontae Graham, Jalen McDaniels, the Martin Twins, Dwayne Bacon when he was here, uh, all logged significant minutes at the G League. And they have actually one of the few franchises in the NBA to have a a coach hired to directly be a liaison coach between Greensboro and Charlotte. So he literally spends his whole time coaching the guys on two-way contracts and any rookies who are on assignment. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's been a really big thing because you're not just getting two different messages from two sets of coaching staff. And it's really helped kind of create that connectedness. So I think think Grant Riller could be on a two-way this year. It wouldn't shock me. Uh, which is strange. Some of you look at it because he's like a a 23, 24-year-old rookie, which isn't all that old. So you'd think that he's kind of really in his prime in the next couple of years. But it wouldn't shock me that they put him in the G League to start with. He could also make the roster. But I mean, with the guard depth at the moment, you've got Rozier, Lamello, Monk, Haywood, um, all playing there, the Martin twins. You've already got a lot of guards who are going to log minutes. So I didn't see a real path for Grant Riller Uh, Getting a lot of playing time, but you know, a lot of guys had Grant Reeler with a first round or an early second round grade in their big boards. And I think um, one of the reasons I I heard he got dropped was down down to uh, lingering concerns issues from a couple of years ago in college. I think he tore an ACL, Um, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of one of the reasons he potentially dropped. So, I mean, that's obviously a concern if some teams have stayed away from him because of that. We can't just assume he's going to be fine going forward. That is a concern, but I think at 56 in the draft, it was a an absolute no-brainer. He was there's always value in drafting guys from the kind of the non-power conferences. So he played University of Charleston. Like scouts are just not going to be traveling to Charleston, South Carolina, to watch (laughs) many games. Um, So you always see guys like uh, trying to think the Dylan Brooks, Memphis. Uh, Holland always talks about him. You know he played uh, some random college. You know he didn't get really get seen that much. Damien Lillard, obviously a bigger name. We the state. How did he fall to six in the draft? People just aren't watching these guys as closely. So I definitely think there's some value there. He's probably one of the best scorers in the NBA draft. And I think he was I think third ranked third or fourth in the country at scoring and finishing around the rim for two years in a row. And he's like a 6'3", guard, and he's got all these floater layup spin packages. Uh, he's just such a crafty finisher if if he comes off he would be a, a kind of like a Lou Williams style electric one two guard off the bench you can kind of fill it up and but if he's not scoring he's probably not helping you that much
0: well I think it's the sort of team with the amount of picks you've got as well and with the cap space and like you said the young players you've already got you can kind of take a flyer in those second rounds uh, which helps and I do think that a team like the Hornets have got deals to be done in the future and maybe some of those players necessarily aren't there, whether it's people like Martin or, or the two Martin twins, someone like that who gets chucked into another deal in the future, maybe uh, then, you know, you've got someone like Rilla who the team can develop behind closed doors and kind of keep him on the roster, which I think makes sense. It's the same as what a team like the Warriors did. They did that. They they draft guards quite late. They stashed them. And then if they need them, they're, they're there. But yeah, yeah that, I think that was- there's,
1: there's this general approach from NBA fans where they, they look at these like eight, nine young guys on their roster, right? And they're like, right, we need to develop these guys for the next three, four years. And this is going to be our starting five. And I'm sorry, but the NBA just doesn't work like that. Like, out of eight guys, four of them are probably just going to be out of the league. It's just the way it is. Uh, no team hits on 100% of everything. Um, and that's the way it's going to be with this Charlotte guys. We've got a bunch of young, interesting guys for sure. But we have too many of them. Like, we, that's not going to be our squad for the next you know, five to six years. Some of those guys, like you say, are going to get moved, are going to get released, are going to get traded for future picks. It's going to happen. So uh, taking a flyer on someone like Grant Real is great. I I think, I will say, like, I don't want people to think I'm some Hornets homer. I'm probably as hard of them as anyone. Like, I think (laughs) their picks, they didn't make my worst list, but their picks of Carey and Richards in the second round, I really didn't like. Uh, Especially trading a future pick for Richards. I just thought it was bizarre after drafting... Uh, Vernon Carey at 32, which I think Just was before, a reach yeah. in itself. So I, I'm I'm by no means a Hornets homer. Okay. I I really don't like what they did earlier. But if they'd have gra- drafted like Rilla at 32 and then Carey or Richards at 56, I would have been really happy. So I, you know, the order of what the draft goes, it's kind of process over results. I'm always a process guy, so we'll knock them for that. But ultimately, I'm I'm happy with the players who came out of the draft with.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about a couple of the other ones you were high on then. So let's talk about RJ Hampton, someone who was higher on boards maybe a year ago then slipped a little bit. Uh, For me, he kind of landed in an ideal situation with the Denver Nuggets. He's surrounded by a lot of talent. He's not going to be expected to to come in and do things straight away so he can kind of develop that jump shot, develop his passing ability, maybe learn how to play in a defensive system a bit better. But he still has that huge upside for a team like the Nuggets. I think that's really important. Um, Why do you think that was such a good pick in your opinion?
1: I mean, to echo some of the things you just said, I think RJ, um, he's, he's very raw, but the Nuggets have done this fantastic job over the last three, four, five years of drafting guys uh, and just developing them without them seeing too much of the floor. So you look at the, the Michael Porter Juniors, you look at even someone like Malik Beasley, uh, who's now with the Timberwolves, who got traded there, but he, was, he couldn't get on the court for the Nuggets at first. Um, and he now went there, and he was, you know, twenty points per game, four rebounds, two assists. He was, he was playing really well. I just, I just think that the Nuggets have got really good player development staff. Um, they, they just, they have find that line of developing people, but also not throwing them into kind of a fire where they're going to be at their depth really well. And all my best picks, I really kind of focused on, especially for this upcoming year. What is the fit like for the rookie? Like, I always think we should go back and do our big boards like kind of after we know who's been drafted by who, because, you know, that's going to affect where you rank guys, because certain teams have a great track record of developing people. And the nuggets need another big guard. Uh, they need someone who can attack the rim, some athleticism. Um, and I think RJ can do those things. know, uh, yeah, And he's going to just be a fantastic place for him to, to develop. And at 24, uh, I, I think that's good value. I mean, I wasn't high in RJ, but I still thought he'd go in the teens. For him to drop all the way to 24, I think it was a, a really great fit. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in Denver.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the fit's almost perfect for him rather than going a little bit earlier and, and kind of being thrust into the limelight a little bit. Um, in terms of team fits, like you just said, I think your other two picks, which matches one of mine, was perfect. I think the Heat getting pressure to and the 76ers getting Tyrese Maxey kind of fits their, their defensive schemes almost perfectly. Um, Achua does get compared to Bam, which he's not, but he moves on the defensive end in, in a slightly similar way. Uh, Tyrese Maxey does also defend a little bit like Josh Richardson, who who swapped over to, to my my Mavs on draft night. But uh, So those two players, is it more of the fit that you're excited about rather than the individual players, or do you think it's a combination of both?
1: It's a combination of both. I I Precious ranked 10 on my board, so I was obviously higher on him than consensus. But, yeah. I mean, Miami have done, again... Precious is like a raw guy who just plays so incredibly hard and has an incredible motor. And Miami is the perfect place for that because you have to work hard and you have to have a motor to get on the floor. So straight away, he ticks those boxes. And he's not going to be taking a lot of shots. They've got other kind of ball handlers and scorers around him. He's probably going to be backing up Precious. They might try and play... Sorry, he's going to be backing up uh, Bam. He might play a little bit with Bam. But again, yeah, there's no pressure on him right now to to kind of come in and play. I know that are competing, uh, but they've they've got quite a lot of depth at those forward positions at the moment. So I just think it's a, a really good spot for Precious to be. Um, yeah, I, I think he could, I think he'll be cracking that player rotation. He's going to be a, a no 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 yes player where he you know he's going to be up and down. Um, but learning of the culture they have there, he if he works hard. He's got the raw ability and gifts, athletic gifts. If he works hard, which they do in Miami, you know, heat culture, not to not to kind of hit a cliche too often touched on, but it's just such a great spot for him to fall in.
0: Yeah, and I think the same with Maxi from a defensive point. I think we've seen that the 76ers have added uh, shooters, which they need to. Uh, and they're basically going to run their offense between those two stars if they don't make a trade for James Harden. And if they do make a jam- trade for James Harden, Tyrese Maxi will have to shoot even less, which is good for him. And He can kind of focus on being that defensive presence and, and kind of using that hustle. Uh, for me, I think that was a perfect fit. When I saw the Heat uh, at 20 with chewer still on the board and then Maxey at 21, I kind of thought that they would be picking those two players in some order. Um, I just think that they, they fit them too much defensively. Um, but I wanted to to quickly pass on to, to number 12 then, the one we spoke about the most and kind of talk about why he ended up at 12. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton to the Kings. Very unlikely Kings to make a good pick, but they did. But it's strange that he's there at 12. We've heard a lot of rumours that he was almost not wanting to go high to teams like the Knicks. And maybe he refused to work out for, for a few teams so he could fall to a team that he wanted to. Um, but A how do you think that value is at number 12 for Halliburton? And B, how do you think he fits with De'Aaron Fox who knows just got a max contract in Sacramento?
1: I mean, I think it's the best pick the Kings have made since De'Aaron Fox, uh, hands down. We'll we'll have to wait and see. I think, yeah, the, the him not wanting to go to some places above him, I thought was very interesting. And again, I, you can view it as like, why does this guy not want to go to certain teams? But like, is it good for Tyrese Halliburton to go to the Knicks to be like, the starting point guard in New York. Like, I think he's smart enough and self conscious enough to know actually, I need to go somewhere where there's another ball handler. Like, who wants to go to the Kings? I, I do find that a bit bizarre, <laughs> but like, you, you can see the fit there. You know, you've got uh, Jaron Fox. He can back up Jaron Fox. You can also probably play next to him and maybe next to him and Buddy Heald or Bogdanovich, depending if they retain him or not. Um, so he's going to get opportunity there. He's going to get playing time. He's a real culture setter, which I think the Kings always need him because you always have funny stories coming out of there. Um, why did he drop? I'm, I I think he's just got that limited upside. And I, I do understand that. For me, I always look at the draft and, in terms of how can I get a, a player who changes the the apex of my team? How can I do that? Like I, I'm not using the draft, but to get a backup center. Like, that's not what I'm doing, but I can get a backup center and free agency. Just who can I get who can potentially change the apex? And Halliburton probably isn't one of the guys who is going to increase your ceiling that much. Uh, but we always talk about, when we get into the playoffs, we're in the, you know, a 3-3 series. We're always talking about like this random guy who defends hard, who, you know, isn't even scoring that many points, but is just having such an impact on the team. And I do think Halliburton will be one of those kind of guys, your your Danny Green type um, from the last few finals. Um, Trying to think from others back in the day, um, I don't know. But like you know, those kind of guys who who don't do—they're not going to ever be the poster or the of, of the NBA team for the season ticket holder. But it's going to be someone the hardcore fans really value.
0: Yeah, I think he can add some shooting as well. To to a backcourt for me that even though they just signed him to a max and a lot of people like Fox and I do like Fox but I think defensively he can be a bit of a worry and shooting wise he really needs to develop that shot they're two things that Halliburton is very very strong at Uh, so I think he just complements what they've already got which is like I said it's a clever pick for a team that don't make many clever picks I think if I was a Kings fan I'd be delighted that he fell to 12. Um, Another couple of ones we, we spoke about briefly um I like, I like Poku uh, 17 for OKC just because he intrigues me so much. I don't know if he's going to be awful. I don't know if he's going to be amazing. Uh, well, we're going to find out.
1: Like, he's going to play. Yeah. He's going to play so, for the Thunder this year. Like, it's, So it's going to be a shock uh, for him for, to be in the NBA. But that's going to be fascinating to watch.
0: I'm not sure what position they're going to line him up at. I just think they need to play him as like a three. He's going to be a massive three. But I don't think he's strong enough to, to roll out against anybody at four or five. But. Um, like I said, I think fit wise, he's just perfect because he's gone to a team that's got hardly any players, a team that's probably three, four years away from even wanting to be in the playoffs. Um, so I think he, he he felt a really good spot. Uh, and then because I'm a little bit of a homer, I wanted to go at 18. Uh, Dallas Mavericks picking Josh Green. A lot of people want a Desmond Bain. Uh, I definitely want Josh Green over Desmond Bain at 18. think the upside is so much higher. He's so much more athletic. and I think he suits what we want next to Luka Doncic. So I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on Josh Green and how he fits next to Luca in in that offense?
1: I I think the idea of surrounding Luca with three and D guys is is fine. I do have some concern that that's like what everyone said. Oh, Harden just needs three and D guys. Like you just have James Harden surrounded by three and D guys. And then you look at it and it's just Harden dribbling. And then these guys get to shoot corner threes. And Luca's much better at that. At the moment but it's kind of because it has to be I am a little bit worried the Mavericks might go too far down that road and it just becomes right Luca go do it and we'll just basically shoot when you want to pass us the ball I do think you know you want to have those additional creators you look at like the Lakers from this past year you look at the Warriors you you had multiple kind of ball handlers Josh Green is not going to be that guy he is a three and D wing. Um, I wasn't that high on Josh Green. I really wasn't a fan. I'm, I'm not convinced he's a good shooter, for one. Um, and his kind of his on-ball defense is decent, but his off-ball de- defense isn't so great. Um, so I, I'm really not a huge fan. I would have much prefer Bain there uh, because I, I know, like 100%, Bane is going to like shoot above 38% in the NBA. It's just it's just going to happen. Green, I'm not convinced, but he does have the athleticism. He will be probably a better defender, but um, I'm I'm not a Josh Green guy. I have to say he's probably one of the prospects. I think I had him ranked in the second round. I was I was lowest on in in the whole thing, um, but you know he was playing down at an Arizona team. Arizona sometimes struggled to to kind of really put some of their best prospects out in the best uh, scenario to to show what they can do. So that was a concern as well.
0: Yeah, they do have a very weird offense in Arizona. Um, even Nico Mannion, I think, been the same team as. His kind of strengths weren't weren't what you thought they were in terms of the way they play their offense throughout the season. Uh, really doesn't fit some of their players' strengths. But yeah, I was a fan of Josh Green pick, and not as much as I was the Tyrell Terry. I don't want to talk about the Mavs too much, but I had Terry at 15 on my board. Uh, the Ringer had him at nine. I think ESBM had him at 13, uh, and then we got him at 31, I believe. Uh, so for me, that was a great pick, and he's kind of they'd want him to be the Steph Curry. Uh, not Steph, sorry. The Seth Curry version for this team. I wish he was Steph Curry. Um, but no, the Seth Curry sort of version an extra ball-handed, like you said, with Luka. Um, the differences between the two teams, going back to the, the Rockets and the Mavs, is I just think that Coach Carlisle designs some of the best offences in the league. They obviously had the most efficient offence in NBA history last year. And I just think that the way that he'll develop an offence around Luca will be not the same as what they do at Rockets, which is very much analytic-based. Um and I would just hope it doesn't go that way because I hate watching James Harden play. Uh, and I love watching Luca play. So <laughs> I no, hope I, that I completely agree. Car- Carlisle
1: is a wizard. Like, I love Carlisle, coach. I think he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. Um, and I, I think he could do some really good things. My, my just big worry is, like, I don't know that Josh Green is going to shoot above 35% in the NBA. I just don't know the answer to that question. And mm-hmm. I think if you're looking to maximise Luca, then there were the players who I would feel on the board, which which were better, but I completely get it. like he's a he's an he's a freshman in in college. A lot of these are the guys, yeah, two, three, four year guys. What's to say Josh Green couldn't look like that in with another year of college basketball? So um, it it is a kind of a it's a it's a role player pick, but with upside. So I do I do understand the theory behind it. Um, I just couldn't get on board from from the tape watching, but um, hey, we'll we'll see.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think the reason they went to Terry is for is for shooting, and then they drafted two wings in Bay and. Uh, green, but I just wonder if that's because there's a plan to to make a big trade. But we won't talk about that too much today. But they've got three or four players that are on 18 to 10 million, that are kind of the sweet spot contracts now in the NBA. Uh, and I just wonder if they're trying to package something to get one of the players that maybe wants to leave some of these lower franchises. But we'll have to see. Um, let's move on to slightly more negative note. Then in the worst picks of the draft, I'm hoping after hearing you say that you don't want people to draft backup centres, that you've got a few teams that are the same as me here because a lot of teams have decided to draft backup centres. Um, so do you want to go through your list of worst picks, maybe go one by one this time and see, see who you think uh, stood out for you? Okay. First up, Jalen Smith at 10,
1: which <laughs> I feel really bad about because I was I really like Jalen Smith when people were talking about it as like a, a late lottery pick. Like I, I would have had no problem with, with Smith at like 13, 14. But not only is 10 high, but it's also who else was on the board at that point. And Halliburton was on the board. And I thought for the Suns, Halliburton was probably the perfect prospect of the draft. Like someone who could play with Chris Paul and Bucker. He could back up either one. He could act as cover if CP3 got injured. He's a great culture guy. He's a connector, which the Suns have already got. Kind of like their big scoring pieces in place. So uh, I was like apoplectic to my mate Nick when we were watching the draft. That the Suns did not draft Tyrese Halliburton there, and then went for Jalen Smith. Um, again, like, like what you've probably heard it say, like DeAndre Ayton's going to be a starting center. Okay, yeah. your power forward. You know the Suns were doing so well when they're putting out this switchable lineup of like Bridges, uh, uh, Cameron Johnson, uh, yeah, who Oubre else?
0: Ubre as well.
1: Oubre last year, and they they've signed someone else, Crowder. They just signed this free agency. So yeah,
0: it's R.H. as well.
1: Yeah, they were looking like really switchable. And when you put Jalen Smith out there, I think he's either a slow power forward or he's a backup center. And you lose that kind of one, three, four switchability if you play him at the four. Um, I think that's where they think he's gonna play. They, they view him as a four, they're gonna run him off screen. So I'm, I'm not saying it didn't work. It's not gonna work. I I do like Jalen Smith, but I just think with what else was on the board there, and I think at most, you're you basically either getting a backup centre or you're having to change completely the style of defence you play because he's not going to be able to switch like some of those other wings we discussed. So for me that was a that was a head scratcher. But look, Suns did this last year with Cameron Cameron Johnson. Like we all slandered them for taking him like 15 <laughs> picks higher, and he ended up playing pretty well this past year. Um, I still don't think you know I'm still not convinced it was the right decision to do that, but. I can't sit here and say it's going to be a disaster. I like Jalen Smith, but I think they could have done a lot better things with this pick.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I just think he is a centre. Um, so if they didn't have a centre, I'd be saying, oh, that makes sense. Modern day NBA, you can shoot quite well for a centre coming out of college. But unfortunately, they spent a huge draft pick and missed out on Luka Doncic to, to draft DeAndre Ayton. So I don't think you should then be drafting another centre, like you said. Uh, I can't see him playing power forward, not long term. Maybe there's certain stretches where you can roll them out together against certain teams. Whether that's like a Lakers, if they play a big lineup, for example, then that might make more sense. Uh, but if they want to be a playoff team, I just think Jane Smith's going to be a, an eight, nine man in rotation. I think a pick 10 is, is a little bit high for me. Um, who was next on your list?
1: Next on my list, I had a, another kind of like double backup center pick. <laughs> so I had Zeke Nagy and Azubike. Uh, Nagy yeah. picked by the Nuggets at 22 as a BK picked by the Utah Jazz a few picks later at 27, again, just like, you're talking about the Nuggets, you've got Jokic, you're talking about the Jazz, you've got Rudy Gobert, and they've both yep. just drafted a centre with a first-round pick. I, just yeah, what are sense. these franchises doing? Like I know I talked about earlier, don't really need to draft for fit in the draft, always going for the, the highest swing available, but... I just don't see how these guys are ever going to get more minutes on the court. You, you drafted backup centers with a first-round pick, which is highly valuable. I mean, I'd much rather than package those first-round picks into a trade if you're just for a wing or a guard, if you're just going to draft another backup center in it. It's not like the Nuggets didn't have options at backup center. It's not like, you know, I know the Jazz are like Tony Bradley, but they have now addressed that getting uh, Derek Favors back there. I, I'm doing well to remember these free agent signings off the top of my yeah, head, you I are. have to say. Especially <laughs> There's keeping been a lot
0: for like 24 hours a day.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, wow, I actually remembered that. Um, so I just find it strange what they're doing. Um, I was really happy Zeke Naji was drafted because one of my bets was over <laughs> five over 5 Pac-12 freshmen uh, in the first round. And Naji was kind of... Najim and Peyton Pritchard, I needed one of those to go in the first round, and they both did. So I was, I was really happy when it happened. At the same time, I was, I was scratching my head thinking, wow, there's, there's some other guys on the board here who I'd much prefer. Like a Desmond Bain would have been perfect that, uh, at either of those two spots. Um, he fell all the way to, to 30 somehow. So, yeah, again, it's this, this backup center drafting. I, I'm not quite sure what we're doing. Uh, maybe an overreaction to the playoffs where we saw Bam and Anthony Davis um I, I don't know. I don't get it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think one of the issues for me was that Denver traded back in for that pick for RJ Hampton when they could have just picked RJ Hampton at twenty two and just not drafted a backup center. That was the weird thing I think they gave. Absolutely. A pick.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, so I had an RG in my first round in terms of grade, but the fit and the way they got him with the trade, that he that's why he was on my list as well. Uh, and then, yeah, Azebuque was basically top of the list because not only have they got Rudy Gobert, who is the most center of all centers, I think Azebuque was fifty ninth or fifty seventh maybe I haven't got my board up, but I think he's fifty ninth or fifty seventh on my board uh, consensus I think he, I saw he was at fifty one on the national consensus one um and you're drafting him at twenty seven so that that that's just not even the fact he's a backup center that he's not even a very good backup center. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that and when, when he'll
1: play what will happen they'll hack him because he shoots I think 43% from the free throw yeah. line I mean yeah,
0: he's a bad shooter he's a good shot blocker but he's a very very bad free throw shooter yeah.
1: Um, yeah
0: you kind of touched on someone else who was on my list then Peyton Pritchard for Boston Soix. Um they draft so many guards that again I think Peyton Pritchard can be a good shot maker I think he basically is Danny Ainge 20 years later or 30 years later um, but for me the fit makes no sense the amount of uh, guards they've got and at this point they hadn't signed Tristan Thompson so they needed bigs as well uh, I just didn't understand the fit here for me not that Pritchard's a bad player I did have him early second round on my grades um, but for me I just didn't like the uh, the fit for that one for Boston
1: yeah I don't mind Pritchard um, I-, I liked lot we did I, th- I think you're right with a Danny Ainge <laughs> 20 years later I think that's a really <laughs> good take I think I've been calling him like TJ McConnell with more of a jump shot um, yeah. As well, you know, he doesn't really play much in the NBA. But um I didn't mind the the Peyton Pritchard pick. It's look, it's not what I would have done, but yeah. I can I can see the understanding behind it. I think the the weird thing is like I don't see him being able to play with Kemba Walker. So they're drafting him to play exclusively as a one, as a backup to Kemba, and then you're you're paying two pretty small point guards in both your starting and your bench rotation there. If if he's if he's in the uh, in the rotation, that is um so yeah i don't love it i didn't hate it i thought i had him kind of right around that range like late first round early second round um and by this point a lot of the kind of guys who i really like for boston had had gone um so yeah i I didn't hate it but i understand what you mean
0: yeah i think they were desperate just to trade out of it but it seems like nobody wanted to take their offer um we heard that the pelicans rejected three first for in the true holiday trade so I just think they kind of got stuck, maybe with who, they, who that was left.
1: What a shock, um, eh? Bo- Boston leaking that they uh, they offered three <laughs> or four first round picks, and then you know it, the deal didn't go through because the other team turned it down. What a shock! What a shock!
0: <laughs> well, last time that happened, they were trying to do it for Justice Winslow, so it's probably a good idea that that nobody accepts these offers because they don't seem to be the best value for for either side. I don't think. Um, no, was there although any other picks although that, that, that the would- major list? That would
1: have worked out where the Hornets didn't have to pick Frank Kaminsky if we'd taken that trade. So I, I would have come back and done that trade definitely.
0: Well, um, I've seen, I've seen Frank the Tank as I call him. Uh, I've seen him score twenty at Madison Square Garden. Unfortunately, uh, that was a horrible God. night. Uh, he is just a, a bad player that seemed to always do well in weird games. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't want to watch him as the Hornets fan. But yeah, is there anyone else who's on uh, on your list for, for a bad pick?
1: Yeah, um, I've got Vic Krejci. <laughs> In the second round, um, he was the first player drafted who I generally had no idea existed. Um, he was the only player drafted who I had not heard of, which after like the amount of work I put into this draft was pretty incredible. He was, I think he was the only player in Sam Vazzini's, not in Sam Vazzini's top 100 to get drafted. Um, it just seems like one of these, uh, one of these weird moves where they basically promised him to keep his name in the draft and that they would find a way to draft him at some point. Um, it's a bizarre one. There were lots of like interesting players on the board at that point. I I just don't understand. If you're going to draft him, just trade the pick. If you don't like anyone, trade the pick for a future pick. I thought it was completely bizarre. I've not seen anyone come to his defence since the draft. <laughs> and it's been now like just under a week. So that was just pretty mind-boggling. When you've got guys like Trey Jones on the board... You know, one of the one of the most decorated point guards in college basketball from the last few years. Um, I was I was pretty shocked.
0: Yeah, I think he was the player that there was loads of uh, funny photos go around of people not having him in their top hundred, top one hundred fifty. Uh, someone put he'd never heard of him and he'd been studying the draft for like thirty one years. One of the ESPN analysts. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that was a bit of a strange pick. Um, but cool let's move on to rookie of the year betting then as soon as we've got the draft betting expert on the pod uh, we spoke a little bit off uh, that you don't fancy any of the three top picks that, that the main guys to to really be any value then in this one
1: yeah I mean I'm not going to put any bets on for rookie of the year um, I'm, I'm not a huge I'm not a huge awards betting guy anyway just because there's so many variables with injuries and things that happen which you just can't predict and again I know you get better odds because of that but I'm, I'm not a huge risk taker. So mm-hmm. Rookie of the Year is one that, that I'm really not a fan of, especially this year when you've had, you know, guys have played a handful of games in the last 12 to 18 months. There's no Summer League. They're, they're getting drafted. They're moving and uprooting their whole life and playing games pretty much within a month. Um, they've got veterans. They're going to be surrounded by veterans desperate to get court time because they've not been able to play. Um, we don't even know if the G League is how that's going to look for this year yet so for me it's, it's generally a bit of a stay away I think there's some real risks here and, and for that reason I probably wouldn't put any bets on for for any of the top three guys really because I just don't think you're getting good enough odds in, in a year where there's just so much random stuff out there
0: yeah and at the moment there's no each way bets either so there's no value of saving to get like third place but uh, the only one for me in the top three would be James Wiseman uh, with Clay going and kind of Golden State adding wing after wing, I just wonder if Wiseman's going to be in a position where he can average 10-plus rebounds a game if they start him at centre. But my other worry is, do they just stick with Looney? We know Kerr kind of likes his veteran players, uh, so they might go with Looney or Chris at the five and play Wiseman off the bench, at least for the first couple of months. So if you've got a player you've spent six to one odds on, which is what he is, uh, I don't necessarily think he might play enough. But for me, he's the only one in the top of three who might have a chance to go crazy. Because so I do think if Charlotte do keep the guards you've got, the mellow ball might come off the bench. And if anyone comes off the bench, they very rarely win, win the award. Um, ball and Edwards both 9-2 to two as well. So not a lot of value with those two. Uh, I've seen a lot of people tipping up Obi Toppin at 7-1, to one, which is something I hate because I just think RJ Hampton and him are just going to, and Mitchell Robinson, are just going to clog each other's spaces. Do you think Obi Toppin at 7 is, is any value at all, just because he's a New York Nick, or you just don't think he's going to have that impact?
1: No, um, I look. I would have really liked Obi as a bet if he just wasn't seven to one. I just, it's too high. It's, yeah, it's just, there's not good odds. Um, That's the mix been, factor, like, I think. Yeah, exactly. And the loads of money will have gone on him because he's a four-year player, because he was college player of the year, because he's older, mm. and everyone is just throwing money on him. I, yeah, it's just not something that I'm uh, I'd I'd be putting money on myself, like you say. And also, Tibbs worries me in New York. Toppin is someone who cannot play defense. Like he is a poor defender. And Tibbs, one, didn't play rookies that much, didn't really prioritize development. Although I'm thinking, I actually like the Tibbs in New York. I think he must have learned a little bit through the years that he can't just be that kind of same guy anymore, especially with the state the Knicks are in at the moment. But I do think he's the kind of guy who's going to bench someone if he misses a box out. You know, that's how he's going to play. And I just don't think those kind of things are conducive to a guy winning Rookie of the Year. Again, it wouldn't shock me, but I just don't think it's good of value for odds.
0: No, I agree. I think the only one I like in the, the top 10 odds-wise is I like Killian Hayes. Uh, I liked him more at 10-1 to 1 before the Pistons decided to go and sign every centre and free agency, because so I think it's going to be similar to RJ Hampton last year. There's no spacing for for Hayes to kind of do what he's good at. Um, but for me, he'll start a point guard for the Pistons. And I think that whoever can generate the most points is often kind of a high-caliber type for, for Rookie of the Year. So I think Hayes has got a chance to do that just because of the fit. I don't think many of the other guards are actually going to start. Um, there's one funny one I'm going to ask you about in a minute, but I want to get your take. You've got two names for us, one that we can't find odds for yet, but we're going to request odds. Uh, so, did you want to tell everyone the two names that you like to put for high value?
1: Yeah. So, I had Cole Anthony, um, who went 15 to the Magic. He's 66 to 1. Um, look, Cole could start a point guard for the Orlando Magic, I, You know, depending on faults, how they see faults. He could start there, he could back up faults, he could play with faults. Uh, depending on what happens with with Evan Fournier. um, You know, we just don't know how long he'll be there. I think I really liked Cole in the draft. I thought he dropped way too far. I think he's exactly what the Orlando team needs, scoring, outside shooting, creativity. Um, So I I think he could get some minutes there. And let's not forget that Clifford had uh, Kemba Walker in Charlotte, Um, maximised Kemba Walker, you know, had the most touches in 2014, I think, of any player in the NBA, uh, made him a multi-time All-Star. Um, you know, eventually finished up p- finishing third-team All-NBA. Uh, that was after Kiffin went, but he he was a big part of making Kemba the player who he was. And he's used to running offenses that really feature the point guard with his time in Charlotte. So I think there could be, um, you know, it's an outside shot, but I think Cole. There is a world where Cole breaks into that starting unit. He's starting for Magic, who could be a playoff team, and he could be making a pretty good contribution. So I think. Um, If we're looking at kind of best situations, that's one that I think could suit really well for him.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's probably one I'm definitely going to bet just because I think he's got a good chance of starting and he's a score first point guard in the end of the day. So I think he can generate the points totals that look exciting to win the award. Uh, He's the same odds as someone we spoke about in Jalen Smith, who we don't even think is going to start. Uh, and he's nearly the same odds as Poku, which is quite funny. Someone who we're not sure if he's going to be awful or, or good. So you can get Poku at 70-1, to one, uh, which I find quite funny. Uh, and then there was another one uh, on the, who's not on the list yet. But did you want to explain your thinking behind your, your second choice?
1: Yes, yeah, so my other guy is actually Cole Anthony's Orlando teammate, Chuma Okeke, who was drafted late lottery, just outside lottery last year after suffering a torn ACL in college. Um, I really liked Okeke okay, in the draft. I think I had him 10, 11, you know, but he, he just basically dropped because of his injury. He's like a 3-4, a uh, really good defender, both on and off ball, can shoot the ball. One of the youngest players in last year's draft class. And um, he'll actually be eligible for this year's Rookie of the Year award, uh, very similar to how Ben Simmons was when Ben Simmons missed the, the first year of his career and kind of won Rookie of the Year the year following. So... Um, I always think when you talk about, well, all these rookies who've not played games in so long, you know, what's it going to be like being in the NBA? Okeke's already been around that. He's like watched these NBA games from courtside. He's probably been in practices towards the end of the year. He knows what to expect from a travel point of view. And I always think that counts for something. Like, we, we know he's going to be able to adjust to that. So, again, I, I'm really high on Okeke. And then also, we, with the um, injury to, um, oh my God,
0: Jonathan Isaac. Florida
1: State. There you go, Jonathan Isaac. Uh, with injury to Jonathan Isaac, he's probably going to have a bit of a bigger role. Um, there's a lot of rumours Aaron Gordon could get moved at some point. Um, yep. So I think if with that in mind... Him, I,
0: think, I think the bet's even better than if they, they trade Aaron Gordon.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. So I think with that in mind, someone a, a little bit more experienced coming back from an injury, you know, again, another good outside shot. And that's that's all I really see value in Rookie of the Year. There are so many, like, wacky factors this year. I think go out for the outside shots. You don't have to put huge stakes on to win, like, good money.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, there is someone on this list who uh, who is technically not a rookie in our sense, but he would be eligible for the award. And he's 20 to 1. I've just realised they've got a bowl on the list. Um, I know he played in the playoffs, but I think he didn't play enough regular season games to, cl- to classify. So he is technically apparently allowed to win Rookie of the Year award. And he's 20 to 1. So I wonder what the odds for, for your guy from the Magic will be. That surely they'll be higher, the fact that he's never played an NBA game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, that's very high odds for Ball Bol. But he's also one of those guys that people probably bet on because he's... Looks a bit funny and has a funny name, and
0: his <laughs> yeah, dad played in fooled. the NBA. We don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, now that he they're converting his two way into a contract, but now they drafted Zeke Nagy. So is Bol Bol even going to be the backup center in Denver? Or is it going to be Zeke Nagy? Like, um... yeah, they just
0: signed, they've just signed, um, they've just signed uh, Jermichael Green and uh, I've forgotten his name now, Paul Millsap as well. So they've added, I know they're not necessarily in the same position, but they've added people that can play the four. Uh, yeah. and next to Jokic, you need someone who can defend to the four. So I worry if Bol-Bot will get enough minutes. But 20 to 1 for someone who looked good in a few games in the bubble is probably OK odds. Um, in terms of most of the money, 51% of the money in the UK has gone on Denny Advia, uh, 16 what? to 1, which I find, yeah, 51%, uh, which is crazy. Then Killian Hayes is about. Does Denny 30%.
1: Advia have family residing in the UK <laughs> or
0: something? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe they think that they're going to trade. Uh, Trade, uh, I don't know. Trade Beale or someone. He's going to be the only one left to score points. But yeah, he's getting fifty-one percent. Hayes is next with it's hard to tell about thirty-two percent ish. And then Lamelo Ball and Patrick Williams are next, quite close together. And then your man Jalen Smith's the outsider at sixty-six to one with five percent of total money. Uh, I, I wonder if some ways.
1: <laughs> I wonder if some ways there's uh, like I don't know what I don't know betting rules for bookies, but I wonder if people in Europe can place bets through UK bookies. And that's why like Denny and Killian Hayes are so high because yeah. that's just very strange to not have like Lamello and Wiseman, which in the States I'm imagining are probably going to be, and Anthony Edwards far yeah, and away like the most money on there. So that's, that's really interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah we really could have found some sort of European betting scam here because there's no way that Denny Avi is going to have 51 and percent of bets if you are in America. Um, but yeah, just an interesting one. So he's 16-1 to 1 at the moment, so his odds might go down. So if you fancy a bit of Denny, then <laughs> I'd bet him now. Um, but let's move on from drafts. And I want to ask you a little bit about free agency before we go, mainly because of the news that came out uh, two days ago. Gordon Hayward, four-year deal, 30 million a year. Uh, I've seen a lot of takes on this. You've done a couple of cool videos on your, on your Twitter about it as well. But uh, initially, when you saw the news, first of all, were you completely shell-shocked?
1: Flawed. Com- completely <laughs> flawed. Um, it was actually in the middle of me doing my two UK fans Insta appearances uh, the weekend. I, I mean, to think that I would be sitting here talking about the Charlotte Hornets being the surprise of free agency is, <laughs> I can't tell you how much I did not think that was going to happen. I mean, I follow this team as closely as anyone and I know other people who do and everyone is completely and utterly shell-shocked. Like,
0: yeah, he wasn't um, linked at all this time around. I know he signed the huge offer sheet last time. And Michael Jordan's clearly an absolute huge fan of his. But in terms of the rumours that leak out across free agency, which is, to be honest, there's rumours every day, Hayward wasn't really mentioned to the Hornets at all. It was all Westbrook to the Hornets. There was no kind of Hayward talk. So I think the whole NBA community was quite shocked.
1: I I think in some ways, I mean, I've seen this, I've discussed with a few people. I think think it's caught the Hornets off guard as well. I don't think the Hornets were planning to do this this year. I think if they were, you would, would have probably made them see made them make some moves a little bit maybe earlier around the draft. I think what happened was I think they probably identified Hayward as a free agent target for next year, expecting him to opt in. When he then opted out, they thought, oh, well, that kind of opens a door and, you know, who else are we going to spend our, you know, 77 millions worth of cap space on next, next year if, if Hayward's not there because, you know, they're not going to get the Yanis and the, the other guys like that or the rest of the free agents next year. And they probably felt Hayward was someone who was gettable um, now he's opted out, and they've kind of want to want to try get their target year earlier, but they don't quite have the cap space to do it. And you're now hearing about them potentially waving, and stretching Batum. Are they trying to work a sign and trade? Are they trying to trade Batum away to make space? I, I think you've heard the agreements are in place, but you've not really heard anything since then because I think they're still working the phones. So um, I think, yeah, I don't think the Hornets went into this offseason planning to make Gordon Hayward the sort of offer. I mean, you heard that they offered Montrez Harrell more money than before we went to the Lakers. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it sounds like things fell apart between the Pacers and Celtics uh, for the sign and trade discussions. And then Charlotte came in and thought, well, this wasn't really in our plan or our cards, but we did want you. And we're going to try to take advantage of the situation. And we're going to throw a shitload of money at you more so than <laughs> anyone else in the NBA was offering 20 million more than anyone else. Um, it's definitely a shift in strategy. Uh, the GM, Mitch Kupchak, said before the draft, in his, in his press conference before the draft, like they're looking to add you know, a veteran for the locker room in free agency, that this team needs to build through player development and the draft and trades, not so much free agency because they're not a free agency destination. Um, and I think in some ways, they never thought that Gordon Hay would even consider coming here, and then he did. And then they were like, oh, great, we'll sign you then. But for me, I mean, I don't like the signing, really. I think there's a lot of stuff getting thrown around. You know, a lot of Hornets bashing, a lot of Gordon Hayward's bashing, a lot of Celtics bashing. And I think we just need some of it to settle. I mean, we actually need to see what the final deal looks like before passing final judgment. It's not what I would have done. Um, <laughs> I, I like the idea of having Hayward. I think we need a vet. We've got to spend that $77 million on someone. You're going to have to overpay because you're in Charlotte. You're not in Brooklyn. You're not in, you know, golden state. Um, you don't have a championship record. Um, my my concern, my main concern isn't so much the fit of Haywood on the team. I think he fits really well with Ball. Um, I think he's a great vet. I think he's a good player. My concern is that he could push us up into playoff contention. And we go from almost being guaranteed, I think, a top six pick, or at least finishing with a bottom six record in the NBA next year, to now potentially being pushed up somewhere between that, like, six to... I don't know, 15 range, depending how things break. And, you know, getting knocked down in the
0: East, couldn't you? Exactly. exactly.
1: And getting knocked down in potentially the draft of the decade. um, That's where I'm going to be really worried. So that's why, like, if I was Charlotte, I'm sitting Hayward for back-to-backs. I'm load managing him to the ultimate amount. (laughs) I like that we don't really have very good centres so that we can keep kind of being bad. So if we can finish the season with, like, still a good pick and we have Hayward on the roster then I think it's a, it's great. But if we miss out on that, um, man, it's it's going to be, I, I think it could be a bit of a regret for Charlotte. Not not now, but when you look back in three, four years' time and we go again, where's this team going? Um, we look back on this moment and be like, well, why did they have to rush that? Look at that player got drafted in the top five in that draft. If they would not added Haywood, they would have got one of them. So I'm not a fan of it, but I do understand the process around it.
0: Yeah, you could be in a position where you need to win again on draft lottery night, I think, uh, if you're yeah. unlucky with this one, because I agree that, depending on his health, obviously he had the, the high ankle sprain after after the broken ankle before that, so you don't know how well he's going to start next season. We, we, we've not really heard much about that side of it, but uh, my worry would be that he would win you enough games, uh, especially against some of the worst teams in the East. I don't think against some of the best teams it will make too much of a difference, because I think we've seen that Hayward can struggle, a little bit late in games, just because of the injuries and, and kind of the flow and being a fourth option, he'd probably take some time getting used to being number one again or number two, depending on how you guys use him. But I do agree, I think they're against some of the worst teams in the league, that you're going to be able to beat them quite comfortably with a player that good, especially if Lamello is as good as, as kind of some people think he is. Uh, so yeah, I agree, that would be my worry. Uh, and if you finish 10th as well and, and you win a playing game, you could technically move up to the 7th seed, well 8th seed, sorry. So then you're, you're losing another two picks just because you've got a a, a past all-star that can kind of win you a game so that'd be my worry in terms of the value 30 million um how much higher is that than you'd be wanting to pay for someone like that with, with his injury record because like you said most people offered 15 to 20 less uh, if the rumors are true
1: yeah i yeah i'd, I'd probably be happy something in like 24 to 26 million range um i think it is it is just too much money but you've got to pay a premium if you're charlotte to get a guy um yeah. we've seen it every single time they've signed a free agent whether it's Marvin Williams whether it's Nick Batum, whether it's Al Jefferson we've been down this route we, no one has ever signed a free agency contract whether it's Lance Stevenson there's another one no one has ever signed a free agency contract for Charlotte and gone oh they've got a really good deal you know for that free agent unless it's like guys for the minimum or something like that yeah. like when Tony Parker signed here that was a good deal like well, five million per year and he was great for us that year uh but for the big guys they're just not going to do it. Um, yeah, it's it's a real concern. I mean, my hope is that they make a salary decline uh, because even so if it's they... It's
0: higher for this year, then. You
1: yeah, because even if they waive Batum, they'll actually have an extra, like, five, six million in space um, after fitting Hayward in. So that means they could afford to start a salary at a high level this year. Um, it, they could be then at a high level again next year because we've got loads of cap space. And then for those years where he's getting into like 33-34, uh, for those last two seasons, you have a decline. So rather than being like a flat 30 throughout the contract, it could start maybe around 32-33 and then have kind of annual deductions and finish up around 26-27 just to try and make it a little bit more palatable, give us a little bit more cap flexibility down the line when we might need it after we've given you know, extensions to guys, signed other free agents. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the real thing with this is it really affects the free agent signing of, of Devontae Graham now, the extension signing, sorry, because he could have been extended for about $14.5 million per year. That's the maximum he could have got because um, of the contract he was on this offseason. So we could have signed him for that. The problem is, now, at first, that seemed like, well, that's a no-brainer. Get him for $14.5 million. Like, even if he is just what he is now, he's still good value as, like, a sixth-man Fourteen and a half million is probably what you pay for like a sixth man starting point guard who isn't an all star. Um, Problem is now if we do that, he takes a hit on your cap next year. He counts for fourteen and a half million, whereas if we don't extend him, he counts for like under two million. So that really bites into our cap space next year. Now we've got the Hayward contract as well. So all of a sudden we've gone from having seventy-seven million pound of cap space. You knock that down thirty million for Hayward, knock that down another fifty million for Graham. And you don't even have that much space anymore. So it's, yeah, it's, it's not, really... It's not a
0: max slot then, is there?
1: There's not a max slot. So uh, they've basically made their max free agent signing for next year, a year early. But they're now trying to to figure out how to fit him in because he's earning more than we have space for. And yeah, having Nick Patoum waving him, stretching him, we'll have £9 million of his contracts on our books for the next three years. In some ways, I've seen people phrase it, it's like you're paying Gordon Hayward 39 million per year.
0: Which yeah, that, that's how I would look at it, if i might. Yeah,
1: which doesn't sound great when you look at it that way. And I, I completely <laughs> agree. Although I would say I'd rather play Hayward that than pay Batum like 28 million, whatever he is on. Because like the yeah, good thing about Hayward, I do think he'll age well. You see some players who lose athleticism, lose speed, uh, and they're just unable to be effective anymore. Hayward has never been someone who's. He's really relied on that. He is more athletic and quick than people think, I think. People just look at him as a white guy and think he can shoot and he's slow. He was actually quite an athletic guy when he was younger, but he's so skilled that I think his his game can age really nicely. So um, I'm not so worried about you know, him completely dropping off like Batum has, um, where he's just going to be like un- unplayable. I think he's going to be able to contribute to the roster on a consistent basis. And this team needed some veteran presence, so... I understand the theory behind it. I just I just don't agree with that execution. Um, and it is an overpay.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if they decided not to do the Devontae Graham extension next summer and uh, keep the max slot just to offer it out to the other restricted free agents and, and hope one of the other teams doesn't match it. Um, that seems to be a, a way that small market teams can kind of utilise the free agency, really, and sign someone to a huge offer sheet that maybe their current team won't match. Yeah. Uh, maybe someone that you value more than a Devontae Graham because there's a lot of players up for free agency next year. And there um, is
1: there is some thought to maybe that, like, depending on what happens this year, Graham might not get as many shots. Like He could have a smaller yeah. role um, and his stock could drop a little bit. At the same time, he's going to have more craters. He might be able to get more efficient shots. So his efficiency might increase. So I think going into the summer, we just thought, well, Graham's going to be featured heavily in offense next to whoever we pick at number three for the next year. So let's sign him now. Uh, but that might not be the case next year. But yeah, it's a it's a really tough one. I, I really like Devonta Graham. I think he's a, an excellent guard starter or sixth man.
0: Is your preference and last one on this bit? Is your uh, your preference for them to 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 change it then to sign and trade, which they're currently trying to do now, and then move Rozier? I guess would be the only probably viable option that someone maybe would want because I don't think anyone's going to take the two month. Would that be your preference, or you fi- would you rather just leave as it is and then stretch between like that, that would be it.
1: my preference. Cause it also solves a little bit of your, your log jam in the guard position with your monk, Rizia, gray and mellow uh, back court, which you've currently got there. Like two of them are going to be playing 18 minutes a game. Uh, unless you play, yeah, a bit in then, the I guess. Yeah. So straight away you like maybe start ball. Um, exactly. That you got, it, it solves some of your minutes issues and it clears your cap space. And I don't actually think Terry Rozier is very good. I love that he had such a good year because I feel like he's actually maybe got a little bit of trade value. Like people don't view him as a negative asset anymore. They might not view him as a hugely positive one on his contract, but they don't view him as a negative. Um, so I, I think, think if you can could,
0: move... you, I think you could end up using the Knicks, if I'm honest, as a three-way in that sign and trade, and maybe they need Boston, a point guard. Absolutely. Yeah, Boston gets something back from the Knicks. You get Hayward. They get Rozier. Um, I know they just signed Alfred Payton, but if we're worrying about Alfred Payton being there for a point guard role, I think it's a, it's a strange world. So yeah, I think that that's who they could be targeting to try and get as the third team. So I'm not sure that Boston would want to take Rosier straight back. I think you'd need a third team for them to do that. But yeah, um, I, I think it's good for Hayward. Great deal for him. Um, and I think if you're a fan of a small market team every year, when there's free agency and you don't get someone, it's very frustrating. Um, and the fact that a small market team can go out and get arguably the biggest name. I know there's other bigger ones that are unrestricted, unrestricted like, uh, sorry, they're restricted, like Anthony Davis. But in terms of the ones that could opt out and leave, he's arguably the biggest name on the board. Uh, so I think it's just good for small market teams something to get, even if, you, even if you're right, it's a bit of an overpay. But, um, yeah, we'll have to see what the final deal shakes out like. Uh, la- last question I wanted to ask you, was there any other deals that shocked you? Uh, we've got the Christian Wood who I know, deal that I know you were high on for, for Charlotte. I was high on him for, for loads of teams, to be honest. I thought someone was going to pay him a, a buttload of money. And he ended up going to the Rockets, which was a bit surprising for me. Uh, was he surprising for you? Was anyone else that you thought was a bit shocking?
1: Yeah, I think Christian Wood's interesting. I think I think there's a lot of off-the-court stuff that people just don't know, right? Because Charlotte were just not interested in him, it seemed. They could have got him if they wanted him. He was in Charlotte for a year, and they let him go. They released him. You know they chose to keep Jahil Okafor over him in New Orleans, and then he went to Detroit, had a good year, and they've decided to release him and trade for Mason frickin' Pumley and play him like three million pound less. Uh, it, it's it's a little bit more, less than that actually, but I mean, it's there's something going on with him where no one wants him. now going to sign for the Houston Rockets, the team in the NBA like known most for not valuing culture um, and kind of work ethic. So I definitely think there's uh, something going on with him, which we just as like your casual fans watching Tate, we're not going to see. I think my, I've got a non-shock award, which is KCP for the Lakers getting paid 30 million, clutch client LeBron, which Paul taking care of their own. Um, but I think my biggest shock is actually quite an interesting one, is, is both Jason Tatum and Mitchell on their supermaxes how they've managed to get a player option on the fourth year of their Supermax, which is, on the, which is bizarre, on the fifth year even. I just think it's normally when you give someone the max of that amount, you don't want the player to have the opportunity to opt out a year early. Like you yeah, It's look normally at, a team
0: option, isn't
1: it? Exactly. It's normally a team option. And for them to be able to, to negotiate that into their deal... It's actually uh, a little bit worrying, I think, from from those teams that they've allowed them to do that. Mitchell, especially, I think um, they're obviously very valuable to the teams. They've got to do what they want, but for them to have that element of player control, I would be worried for both of those teams because you do see those guys opt out. You just look, sorry, the Gordon Hayward. Like, if that wasn't yeah. an option, the Celtics having this year, um, they're able to run it back, and they've probably got a better team. Lined up for the upcoming title push,
0: so and well, you know, Well, you can but, trade them as well. People forget that having an asset is better than not. What what like the Warriors did with KD, rather than just letting him walk, they managed to do that sign and trade deal with with Brooklyn, which meant they could get uh, Russell, which then meant they can get Wiggins and a pick. Which we never know if Timberwolves aren't great next year, the Wolves, uh, their Warriors could get a top ten pick in one of the best drafts. So you, I think there's something to be said to, to holding on to assets, even if it's not the player. Um, and I think if both those players opt out in year four of your deal and you're kind of capped out with your other options, if you're a team like the Jazz and the Celtics, but maybe more the Jazz like you said, I think you could be really struggling to to recruit anybody along that sort of level of player again.
1: I just think if you're offering them the max, are you telling me they wouldn't sign an extension unless they had a player option on the fifth year? I just I just don't know if I buy that. Uh, and Maybe I'm wrong but I think we've seen enough players sign the five-year max with a team option um, that it's, uh, or just a straight max with no options, that it's it's not an issue. So I'm I'm surprised at that it stinks to me of this world where we need to keep stars happy and we need to tickle their testicles a little bit. <laughs> I, don't I don't know why I've just used that terminology. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, we, we need to do that a little bit to keep them happy. Um, but th- that's a bit of a shock because I'm, what I'm already looking at, four years down the line here, Gordon Hayward expires. <laughs> okay. Charlotte coming in, yeah? Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, they can opt <laughs> out, jump in with Charlotte, you know, so it's all lining up quite nicely.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think Giannis will be the next one, um, whether he signs one or not. He, he recruited Bogdanovich, and that didn't work out, so we're not sure if he's as happy as we thought come about four days ago. Everyone thought he was, he was then going to sign, but I he's know we, You know what we haven't that- heard?
1: What we haven't heard? We've not heard the, oh, Giannis is just on holiday in Greece, but he's going to sign it. We've not heard anything, which I think... Is a little bit worrying.
0: Yeah, I think he's think he's. A, the rumours are that he recruited Bogdanovic himself, so I think the fact that didn't work out uh, it's kind of swung it from being almost certain that he would sign to, to now a bit of worry. Uh, and he's the typical player that would put an option in. If he's seen a player like Tatum now put an option in, he's the exact player now that will say, OK, I'll sign a max, but I want an option after year X. Uh, and that just means that he's taking as much money as he can now but keeping flexible, almost like what the LeBron sort of players do. Uh, so that's yeah. a bit of a worry for me. And in terms of shocking as well, I just wrote down the word the Pistons. I do not know what they're doing as the franchise. Maybe what they're doing is trying to be worse than the Knicks, which is quite difficult, uh, just to have a great pick next year and the year after and the year after that. But for me, the amount of bigs they've signed and the amount of money they've spent on someone like a Plumlee, like you said, uh, for me, that was just mind-boggling on draft night. And I think they were the first team to sign anyone as well. And it was just centre after centre after centre.
1: And that was after drafting Isaiah Stewart, like, 16th, which was a really (laughs) poor value, I think, as well. And they got
0: six centres, almost.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's hard to keep track of, actually, who's on that team anymore because they've traded (laughs) for so many people, retraded them, waved people, stretched people. It's it's an absolute nightmare to try to keep track of. But, yeah, I think think Detroit, um, (laughs) let's just wait and see how it shakes out. I mean, look at the good news. It might be in good place for 2021. And if they get Cade Cunningham, like, none of this really matters. So... That's that's yeah. the great thing about the NBA. Like abysmal decision making can be rewarded, um, in some ways.
0: Yeah, I agree. Cool. I didn't prep you on this one. Before we leave, have you got an obvious one, two, three for next year? I know Cade Canning's everyone's uh, everyone's one, but have you got an obvious one, two, three, or you don't want to give that out so early?
1: No, you you know what? Um, I don't. I didn't work on the draft at all until the next draft year. So um, I only have so much time. I can watch read follow the nba and college which i do both closely but i uh, i just i leave the high school stuff to the high school scouts and i'll jump in i think college season starts this week i've got it on re- yeah, I've it got does, some yeah. games on record so uh, i honestly couldn't give you a, a very well informed take so i don't want to just <laughs> sprout out a bunch of nonsense but i i mean i've heard really positive things from guys who know what they're talking about um so that's where i'm kind of making a lot of my my assumptions from really
0: Yeah, and I hope we actually get a full college season from this point onwards. It's still up in the air a bit, isn't it? About when uh, March Madness might be April Madness and stuff like that. But we'll have to see. Hopefully all that works out. But um, thanks for coming on again, James. It was good to speak to you. It was good to uh, get some Gordon Hayward chat out of the way because I know a lot of people are uh, shocked by that one.
1: Yeah, no, thanks thanks for having me on. And uh, I hope the Hornets remain this interesting with the third pick in the draft (laughs) and signing Max Free Agents. Like, you know, if we can... uh, if we can do this, I can make more podcast appearances, but somehow I doubt it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think our plan is to get um, someone on from every team throughout the year to kind of talk about the progress for the season and where they see their franchise going uh, and talk about some of the players that maybe the average NBA fan doesn't know on that team. So we'll, we'll get you back on for our for our Hornets pod for sure. But um, yeah, thanks again for coming on our our, our plan podcast-wise. We've got another, plan, uh, another podcast with Joe Holbert uh, and my co-host Ben at the end of the week. That's going to be a uh, a podcast dedicated purely to free agency. So yeah, that should be fun, and hopefully we're talking about an Anthony Davis uh, extension with someone who's not the Warrior, uh, not the Lakers. But I very much doubt it. But yeah, we'll speak to you soon, and cheers again, James.
1: Uh, always a pleasure.